You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, guys, we have a very exciting episode planned for you today. We're going to be speaking with Lisa, who, as a qualifier, is a mother, scientist, and financial enthusiast. She founded Mad Money Monster, a personal finance blog that chronicles her and her family's journey doing money all wrong to doing it all right. She and her husband go by the moniker Mr. and Mrs. Mad Money Monster, and they pride themselves as being Gen Xers who have turned it all around and are now charting a course towards financial independence. Their goal is to inspire others just like them to take control of their financial future and realize it's not too late. So this is going to be a fun conversation. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. Yeah, Jonathan, I'm excited for this one. Uh, Actually, it was funny. Just yesterday in our Facebook group, one of our moderators posted a link to one of Lisa's articles that I know we're going to dive into today, which is FIOR. So it's F-I-O-R, Financial Independence Optional Retirement. And I just thought the timing could not have been better that we were going to literally record with her the very next day. So yeah, this is going to be a really interesting interview. And Lisa, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks. So Lisa, I know for a fact what an absolutely fascinating backstory you have. And I'd love you just to take a few minutes and introduce yourself. Sure. My backstory uh, grew up actually in the original tiny house. It was a trailer. It was uh, eight by 50 feet long, so 400 square feet, six people. <laughs> so it was a crowded house, but it was a, it was a good time. Fortunately, I was in a great school district, so I had friends with parents who, you know, maybe, well, not maybe, absolutely did have, you know, a lot more than I did. And, you know, I would look up to their parents and I would think, wow, I really would like to be in a different position, you know, in my life as I grow up and turn into an adult. Despite my parents having us growing up in the trailer and things like that, they they worked their butts off and they really pushed education, but they didn't really know how to build wealth. Now, they pretty much kept us out of debt. So they weren't racking up credit card debt and things like that, but they did spend everything that came in. Like everything that came in went out for bills, went out for making sure I had the trendiest clothes. You know, I think part of my mom's overcompensation for growing up in a trailer was to make sure I looked like the other kids I went to school with. So, and at the time, you know, I, I took it, <laughs> right? That sounded good to me. So basically I, I grew up, I graduated and started working. I didn't think I was smart enough to go to college, which is completely absurd. <laughs> let me let me slow you down for just a second. And I mean, what what is it like actually growing up in a trailer? I mean, that is a that's a different set of circumstances than many of the people that we've talked to up to this point. Yeah, that's actually true. Growing up in a trailer, it wasn't as acceptable, I guess, is is the right term. I think today people are more accepting of different lifestyles and different, you know, housing situations, but when I was growing up, it was definitely something I was embarrassed about. And actually, I only started telling people about it only a few years ago. So it kind of coincided with us getting on this fire journey that I started to open up about, you know what, it was okay. You know, this is how I came to be who I am today. 
So, yeah, I was definitely embarrassed about it, especially growing up in, you know, going to the good school district where, you know, my friends were not living like that. So I barely was just over the line where I got to go to the good school district. <laughs> so that was a good thing, I guess. But, yeah, it did affect my self-esteem and, and things like that. And unfortunately, I guess. But, yeah, it did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we've talked about on the show is this idea of being selectively hardcore, which really is a privilege because you're making a choice to be more hardcore in this particular aspect of your life. But coming from a place where it wasn't an option, you're just having to live this thing out. I'm sure it ingrains itself into your identity, which carries forward into almost every other aspect of your life. Oh, it absolutely does. And you mentioned, yeah, there was a time when we did not have a hot water heater. You know, it just gave out and we didn't have the money to replace it. So there was a time period I definitely is imprinted in my memory that we were heating our bath water up on the stove and we dump it into the tub. But, you know, I was I was pretty small at that point, so I didn't really get the um, I should be embarrassed about this yet. <laughs> so at that time, it was just normal. You know, I was like, oh, sure, we're heating up our bath water, of course. <laughs> Well, clearly it didn't hold you back. I mean, we can take a look at where you are now, but I would say that your path was not predetermined and you definitely had to work through some stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about your high school and college experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my high school experience was pretty low key. I was pretty much just a generic student. Like I wasn't picked on, but I wasn't a generic student. I'm going to get in trouble for saying something like that. But uh, I wasn't picked on, but I wasn't in the, you know, the popular group or anything like that. So I just kind of coasted through high school. Didn't really apply myself. Just kind of saw myself graduating getting a decent job and just working, you know, just working, paying bills. I mean, I didn't want to live in a trailer. I knew that, but I didn't really have super high goals at that point. So I did, I graduated high school, basically an average student. I got a job. I actually worked at a worldwide electrical components company. So I got a job in their lab soldering electrical parts together. That's where I met an engineer. He was pretty cool. He was pretty young. And was asking me, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm not smart enough to go to college. And, you know, he just burst out into laughter. And, you know, my face turns all shades of red. I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And, you know, he's like, of course you're smart enough to go to college. Anybody can go to college. That's when he uh, talked about a community college. And, and I, because I said, you know, my grades weren't great in high school. And he introduced me to the concept of a community college. I remember going home and secretly looking into the local community college and secretly applying, secretly being accepted. <laughs> now, at the time, I had no idea about an open admissions policy. I had no idea <laughs> they pretty much accept everyone. But I was so proud of myself that I got accepted. You know, I came to my parents, oh, I, I, you know, I got accepted into college and that's great. Sorry, we can't help with money. So basically, I stayed at the electrical components company. I stayed there. For the next four years, while I worked full-time, I listened to my lectures while I soldered components. I went to class at night, so, so it took me eh, almost four years, yeah, to get my associate's degree. And then I transferred to the local private school for the remainder of my bachelor's. So, Lisa, we talk a lot about limiting beliefs here on the podcast, and it strikes me as a major limiting belief that I wasn't smart enough to go to college or maybe because nobody in my family had a high school diploma, not less a college degree, that maybe I could never do it. I wonder if you've ever reflected on that. Like, where did that come from? Was that something that was part of your family, something you just grew up with? Like, I know one of your quotes in, in your article said, I grew up as a poor kid on the right side of the tracks, which lit a fire inside me. And, and I'm curious, like this interplay between 
the limiting beliefs potentially from your family or seeing your family, and then also maybe aspiring to the wealthy people who live next door. Like, was there ever an interplay there, like a balance where you're struggling? Okay, my friends are going to college, or the wealthy kids are going to college, but it's not for me, or I'm not smart enough. Like, did that ever play into your thought process? So I never actually took the SATs. That's that's a funny thing. <laughs> but my best friend, one of my best friends, I said to her, do you think I could still go to college? And she was set up to start a pre-vet program. So she, she had already been accepted. So I kind of looked up to her. She was bright. And she said, oh, no, it's too late now. And I was like, oh. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't really have – I guess I didn't really have a mentor to go to. I didn't have somebody – I mean, my parents would say, yeah, you can go, but we can't afford to pay for it. So right there, I kind of hit a roadblock, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to say what's striking me is we've kind of thrown out the phrase first-generation fire as someone that realized the possibilities of a high savings rate. But it almost seems like you had even more disadvantages stacked against you. I mean, this stuff wasn't even – it was nowhere on your radar. There was not a single person that you could point to that even had a, a modicum of financial prowess at this point, right? That is true. You're yeah. just reaching out into the void and hoping that something comes back. Yes. And one thing about me is that I'm, I've learned this over years. I'm coachable. So that, <laughs> that has served me really well. So I left high school and I immediately got that job. And it was that engineer that really encouraged me to go to college and said, no, you can do this. You're way smart enough. And he was sitting there with a master's degree. So if he believes in me and he, he's telling me I can do it, well, then maybe I can. You know, so that was my moment that I grabbed onto and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see what I can do. I can see what I can make happen. I'm just blown away by the fact that, you know, I'm having this kind of light bulb moment right now, just thinking out loud that you can be that one person for someone else. You know, how often do you just go through life saying, I can't make a difference. I'm not big enough. I don't have a big enough platform. But honestly, the value of mentorship, and it doesn't even have to be a formal mentorship. It could just be one person giving someone else words of affirmation to just destroy a limiting belief that could have been held for decades. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can actually also remember I had saved up enough money because I had to work, right? I had to pay for this myself. So I'd saved up enough money, which was a lot for me at the time, $600 for two classes I was going to take in the evening. And I went to uh, a friend's home they had a friend of mine that didn't go to college, um, and I'm sitting there with their parents, and I said, oh, I don't know. Should I, should I go do it? Because it's a lot of money for me to give up, right? I was so proud that I saved this money. You know, should I do it? Should I not do it? The response was, well, why start? You're not going to finish. And that just, boy, did that rub me the wrong way, and that, that also lit a fire under me. So I, I think I probably drove down that night and paid for the classes and signed up and that was it. Wow, where do they get off saying that? Like what would even cause them to say something absurd like that? You know, looking back, I think it's because their child chose not to go. So it was almost like a little jealousy thing maybe. That's the only thing I can come up with because why would you say that as an adult to an 18-year-old? Yeah, I mean, lighting a fire, that really does. There are many things that can motivate us psychologically, right? And yeah. thinking that someone thinks hey, there's no way on earth you can do this. Well, right. that would light a fire under me. So good right. for you. That's amazing. I Did they have it, not to delve too much into this, but did they have any past with not graduating college or anything? Like that's just such a weird psychological thing. Like who would say that to another human being, not less uh, 18 or 19 believe, year old kid? Correct. I don't believe they had gone to college either. You know, maybe they didn't even realize why they were saying it, right? I don't know. Yeah, just limiting <laughs> beliefs. We all have them and you just have to be so 
careful about that. Like whenever you say like, oh, I can't do X or I'm not smart enough or I'm not good enough at X, that's crazy. To me, it's I'm not good enough now, but what do I have to do to work to get there? You know, and like you said, you are coachable. What a great way to go through life thinking I'm coachable. I can learn anything. That's yeah. brilliant. You just nailed it, Brett. I was thinking that's the takeaway here. You know, if you're going to latch onto a limiting belief, let it be that you're coachable. You know, that's the belief system that you need to be holding onto because someone that is coachable can learn anything. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I love the fact that I'm coachable. I mean, even listening to podcasts when I'm out running or anything, I'll take little pieces of what I hear and I'll, in, I'll try to incorporate that into my life to make, you know, my life better. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I'm constantly talking about the Impact Theory podcast here with Tom Bilyeu, and, and he is just one of the best motivators I've heard. And, and he talks about his belief system, about, about who he is as a person. I'm the type of person that. And to you, it's I'm the type of person that is coachable and can learn everything. And so this is what I want the audience to take away is really think about what holds you back mentally. And why? Where did it come from? Is it real? Like, do you even believe that when you actually sit back and think about it? Lisa believes she's coachable and can learn anything. That's brilliant as far as I'm concerned. This is the part of the story where you start to get onto this glide path, right? I mean, you're making it through all the obstacles that you've had throughout your childhood. You've overcome. You're in college and you're on this trajectory to success, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I, I felt better and better with each passing semester. You know, I, it was a lot. It was, it was not easy for me to get through it, especially those first two years when I was working full time. Like I would go straight from the factory and I would stop in, in the Wendy's parking lot. I'd study a little bit. I'd grab a burger. I'd go straight to class and I wouldn't get home till 11 o'clock at night. And I'm up at six o'clock the next morning to get to work by seven again. So it was a lot. Now, after that piece, when I did transfer, that was the only time in my life where I didn't work. <laughs> I didn't work for two years while I was at the four-year school, finishing up my bachelor's degree. I actually put on the, the financial aid form that I was not willing to work. I think because I checked that box, they gave me – I don't know. They adjusted my package. <laughs> I don't know, but that might be a trick that some of your listeners might want to might want to try out. But uh, my package was great. I mean, I came out of – private school with $25,000 of debt at the end of two years, which wasn't that bad. And I graduated with a scientific degree and, you know, little debt. So I, I got a job right away making a pretty good salary. So, so that, that's, actually, a, that's the end of the story, right? You've made it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not the end of the story. <laughs> but um, yes, my, my education, yes, I checked that box. I, I made that. For me, that was such a big hurdle. I knew that, that I needed that, or at least in my mind, you know, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I wasn't somebody who's going to make a ton of money with the creation that I come up with at that time in my life. So I knew that I needed that college degree to get me into that next level, you know, so out of my childhood status, I guess. But uh, as far as working for the company, I, I, the companies I've worked for I actually took up my employer on the free uh, master's degree as well. So I got a master's degree 100% free. <laughs> so that was nice too. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's actually a great college tip. There are a college hack that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but it's the fact that once you get that first job, in many cases, your employer is willing to cover the cost of that graduate degree if you've positioned yourself in the right field. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, a lot of times it's not 100%. In my case, it was. So I thought, well, there's no reason. And I really didn't need it for my job, but it was really a personal goal for myself. Like, I'm going to get a master's degree. (laughs) Not only am I not going to not finish, but I'm going to go on to get a master's degree as well. (laughs) So are you 22 at this point? No, I was a little bit older because I took longer to get through my first two years because I was working full time. So I was like mid 20s. Okay. Now, is this the point at which you found the Phi community? No, my gosh, I didn't find the Phi community until a few years ago. I'm so embarrassed. So what happened in the meantime? (laughs) So my life has been a series of like 10 steps forward and like seven steps backwards, right? So I, I graduated, I started making money and I started saving like crazy, right? Like I started not maxing out, but I, I had a high percentage rate, you know, going into retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks. And I just made bad relationship decisions. <laughs> like they weren't bad people, but they just were not the people for me long term. And on some level, I knew that, but we were comfortable. We had combined friends. We got engaged. We bought a house. We did. And like, I just knew, like in my gut, I knew that this probably isn't who I should marry. And we never did make wedding plans or things like that. But uh, it's just a lot of wasted time, a lot of wasted time. And on top of it, he was not into saving. He was into spending. And we would go out with our group of friends and, oh, I got the tab. I was like, I'm thinking, what are, what are you doing? You know, he's racking up credit card debt. We're supposed to be together. So that's a whole other story, you know? <laughs> well, I'm curious about that because, I mean, many times you, you're with someone and they become more like you. I mean, did he start saving more the longer you were together? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, his personality was very, um, he had a very strong personality and he did not buy into it. I, I mean, I tried, I tried. But he did not buy into it. So, I mean, I was still saving in my retirement accounts. I did still put a nice chunk into those. But yeah, I was definitely not caring if I went out on a shopping spree and dropped $2,000 in a weekend, you know? So what? Okay, Lisa. So all through this time, you you still are saving in your 401k or retirement accounts, right? Yep, both. IRA, 401k, yep. And we talked about your significant other and his bad habits have spilled off onto you to a large degree. Like, did you lower your contributions to 401ks or or was that the one thing that stayed constant throughout? I did not lower my contributions and he would give me crap about that, but not so much that it made me want to change that. I knew that was very important. Now he did rub off as far as me spending more, but because we still had separate accounts, separate money, you know, he wasn't exactly seeing the dollar amounts that I had going into those accounts. <laughs> nice. So that's really cool. So you've been saving in your 401k since your early to mid 20s. And you said yep. once you graduated, you had a, a good salary. So at least there was that. Right. But I'm curious throughout this process where you started spending more, you know, two thousand dollars on a shopping spree on a weekend. Like, did you go into debt? as well? Or was it you were spending every dollar that came in other than your retirement contributions? Uh, I was pretty much spending every dollar. I did rack up some credit card debt. Yeah, it was cyclical. So I would rack some up and then I would pay it off and then I'd rack some up and then I'd pay it off. So you're in this relationship. I mean, you have this sense that maybe this isn't the right fit, but you know, you guys are keeping your finances separately. So who cares, right? Absolutely. I mean, we kept our finances separately, even though we bought a house. I kept my name off the deed. I put some money toward the down payment, but we were living the life. You know, we were making 
great money between the two of us. We were having friends over. We put a pool in. We dropped, oh my gosh, I think it was fifty or $60,000 to put a pool in the backyard. And every Sunday was a standing open invitation for all of our friends to come over. We were hosting, you know, we're buying food, we're buying drinks. I mean, this is every week. That's That was a ton of money that we were both spending on this lifestyle. We're just flaunting it. Oh, we've made it. Look at how successful we are, right? I mean, Ah, it was terrible. <laughs> Looking back, it was terrible. But it was fun at the time. So $60,000 on a pool, like where does that come from? I mean, do you take out a loan for that? Do you save the money and you just plunk $60,000 down? Like, tell me about that. So let me tell you where the money came from. <laughs> when we bought the house, um, like I said, it wasn't in my name. He was a little bit, he was a few years older than me. So he had been making good money for longer than me. He had a townhouse that had equity in it because this was year, this was, I think, 2005. So he had some pretty good equity because the the market was, I mean, the bubble had not burst yet, right? So he got a lot of money out of that townhouse before we bought this other house. And um, instead of putting more money down on the house that we bought, he put it into a pool in the backyard. So Wow. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. is, that's pretty interesting. Um, so I'm also curious about the psychology of that cyclical credit card debt. I know you said you paid it off and, and that's probably better than what many people do, right? Which is just <laughs> have credit card debt indefinitely. But for someone who was a saver before you mm-hmm. met your significant other, like how did you get into the process where credit card debt was acceptable? Like talk me through how that works even mentally. Um, mentally, I think because I just, I'm, I'm so young. There's so much in front of me. We don't have kids yet. We're not married yet. Who cares if I drop some money, I'll pay it off, you know? And so it was just that cycle. You know, he wouldn't bend to me. So if any bending was going to take place, it was going to be me bending more toward his lifestyle. You know, what I love about this is that it's obvious you're not saying that he was a bad guy, right? This doesn't have anything to do with with his personality. It just has to do with how you related to money. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, personality-wise, we probably were not the best mix either, but he wasn't a bad guy. We were just on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to finances and and how we viewed money and building wealth. Well, we talk about sunk cost when it comes to picking a profession or maybe picking some sort of course in life. But it it strikes me that obviously this relationship that you're in right now, at this point, you're starting to think about the sunk cost. And, you know, let's say you make the choice to actually break this relationship off to go your own separate ways. I can hear, you know, I can hear that in your mind that you're thinking this way at that point in time. What is actually going through your mind? What are the different factors that come into play when you start talking about actually dividing your life and and moving off in this different direction? You know, it was so intimidating for me because I had never really been on my own. I was with my parents and then I met him pretty much when I graduated college. So all that time, you know, we dated even when I was taking the college classes. So we had been together for a very long time. And after I, you know, was done with college, then we just kind of naturally moved in together, I guess. I mean, he already had the townhouse. So I just started staying over more and more. Oh, why don't you bring some things over? There was never really a definitive, okay, let's combine our lives and this is how it's going to look. It just kind of happened without any real decision being made. And that was hard for me to to think about, I mean, after years of this and then buying another house, and just our lives were so intermingled and our, our friends were our friends. And it was just, I don't know, I was scared. I was scared to actually break it off, even though I, I knew in my gut that 
that was the right thing to do. Practically speaking, Lisa, what's actually going through your mind? I mean, you can just leave, just leave. It's not working out. Just leave. What is holding you back? You're right. And I thought about it so many times. I mean, I remember having, you know, like vacations or vacation days here and there. I would be on the computer researching apartments. I was, but I didn't want to move backwards in my mind, leaving that big house with the pool was moving backwards. I didn't want, like, that was a validation thing for me. I had made it, you know, I, I have my education. I have the big suburban house that I drooled over as a child. I mean, that's all I wanted growing up. I just wanted to live in a nice house in a nice neighborhood. And I never had that. And I finally had that. So that was a big thing. Our friends, our combined friends were actually you know, his friends that became my friends. So, you know, you know, they're not going to, you know, take my side because everybody has to take a side. I mean, you say that doesn't happen, but of course it does. It always does. So that was a thing. I mean, I did have my own friends, but a lot of them weren't local. So it wasn't, wasn't the people that were coming over to the house every Sunday for the pool party. So that was going to be a big change for me. And then we also had, you know, we had dogs, we had cats, and, you know, we loved our animals. And then, you know, if I'm leaving, I'm moving into apartment, then I lose that as well. Just a lot of loss on my end. One thing we did have in common big time was we loved the holidays, and we went all out with decorating and hosting and, you know, everything that makes a holiday special, right? You know, what am I going to do? Continue to do that in an apartment? You know, it's just not going to be the same, you know. Everything like that was pulling at my emotions and my mentality. I wasn't thinking clearly. I was I was thinking, you know, even though I knew the person wasn't 100% who I should be with, everything else kind of fit into the, into the wheelhouse. Then there was also the pool, right? Um, the <laughs> pool we put in in the backyard. I mean... Talk about validation. Not only did we have this big, impressive house, but we had this big, impressive pool. I mean, this expensive, state-of-the-art, you know, saltwater, heated, has different colored lights in the bottom. I mean, it was fantastic. How do I walk away from that? So those were the things that were going through my head. (laughs) I have to pause on this. This is so valuable. I mean, in some of the more developed countries in America, we have this tendency, this natural tendency, which is brought on by years and years of marketing. Literally, you're exposed to thousands of commercials every single week. You have this tendency to quantify and classify and characterize your life by the quality of your stuff, right? What, what happens when it goes away? You realize that if your whole identity is baked into how much stuff do I have and how high quality is that stuff, it's a very isolating feeling when you're removed from that. Absolutely. And it's difficult to change your mindset. I mean, one, you have to actually realize that that's what you're doing before you can change it, right? I mean, you know, your self-worth is not wrapped up in your things really, but it is, right? So you have to change how you think of your things before you can move on. Lisa, I'm waiting here on bated breath. How did you get out? How did you make this decision? <laughs> right? Like how how did you actually get the nerve to leave all these amazing things and and move on with your life? You know, it was uh it was just before the holidays actually. <laughs> Believe it or not, I did not wait until after the holidays. I think it was October. We had just a terrible terrible fight. It was just the worst fight we had ever had and I'm not a fighter by nature. He was more of a fighter, so it just Oh, it was just a terrible fight. And I remember walking away from that thinking, I am done. I am leaving. I am done. You know, I made the mindset shift and 
whatever it was going to take, it was going to take, and it was only going to be up from here. But that's putting it mildly. I mean, there were months where I was just, I was depressed, and I I didn't know how to move on alone. And it, it yeah, sitting here talking about it, it just sounds like, oh, yeah, I made the decision, and I moved out, and everything was great. But <laughs> that was not the case. It was a long process, but certainly certainly one that I'm, I'm glad that I took on. Your finances, you know, even if you were trying to keep them separate, obviously your life is intertwined. Your time is intertwined and your finances are intertwined. Financially, was this bankrupting? Were you able to crawl out of the rubble? I mean, what did you actually come away with? Thankfully, I had my education. I still had my good job. So I had a good income. I knew I had enough that I could go out and live in an apartment, but I also knew that I had nothing really in the house that was mine. I mean, I moved into his townhouse. Then when we moved to the big house, obviously we moved things over to the big house. I did give money toward the down payment, but I did not, you know, buy any furniture or things like that for the, for the new house. We already had it pretty much. So, um, I left with just my clothes, four lawn chairs and my two cats. And those were the only things I walked out the door with. How, how old are you at this point? (laughs) Um, right around 30, 31. So right around the time I'm thinking I should be, you know, married, starting a family, you know, everything that, that you envision for your life, everything was not falling into place. It was all falling apart. It was really a defining character moment for myself. When I got through that process, I really felt like, you know what, I can do anything. I got through that. I got through leaving at the bottom, you know, and then rebuilding my life. And now I feel unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. So your story could be titled "The Roller Coaster Path to Fi," uh, <laughs> you know, with your highs and lows. And sadly, you know, we kind of followed you on this upward slope, and we could feel the trajectory of your life going to a positive place. Now, obviously, things are cratering, and unfortunately, my understanding is it, it got worse from there. It did. Six months, probably before the awful fight, when I decided this is over, I bought. <laughs> It was 2007, I believe, at the height of the real estate bubble. I bought a property, and I moved my parents into it. It was a semi-detached home in a local town. I way overpaid for it. I probably overpaid, oh gosh, maybe 20000 And at the time, I didn't know anything about the 1% rule or the 50% rule. I didn't know anything. So this was just a, a way for me because I was still with you know my significant other, and we were still making a ton of money together, you know, I had extra money that I wanted to invest. So, okay, I'm going to move my parents out of the trailer and into this nice house. And that's just where I'm going to put my disposable income. Uh, (laughs) So six months later, my life falls apart. And then I'm facing my transition out of that nice big house. But this is a good thing because you're already paying $800 a month in rent for your parents. You can just go move in with them, right? Well, Sure, in theory, but as a 30-year-old woman uh, who wanted to be, you know, married with, you know, starting to have a family, it was devastating. It was emotionally devastating to me. So that that is what I did. I moved in and it just, I was in such a depression that I was back living with my parents, even though they were really living in my house. It didn't feel that way, you know, because they were living there already. They were set up in the master bedroom. Like, it felt like I had a bedroom in their house. That's how it felt to me, even though that wasn't the case. And I just could not at the time. I couldn't get over that hurdle emotionally. So so I went ahead and I rented an apartment on top of subsidizing their living expenses. So that meant I had to stop contributing to my retirement accounts. And that's when the backslide started to, to happen. 
Wow. So you had the perfect house hack set up, as we call it, oh. right? Like that would have been amazing. Yes. You you own this house. You were paying for it already. You could just slide right in and, and live there for free, essentially. You got it. That's yeah. part of my biggest mistake. But like, do you think it was like a societal pressure that like, oh, a successful 30-year-old woman like can't live with her parents? Or was it just that you were in a bad mental state? Talk me through why you made that decision, if, if you recollect what you were you know, thinking at the time. Yeah, I don't know if I can actually pinpoint it. I think, yeah, I think it was a societal thing. I think I was an, emo- an emotional mess. I mean, I I had to leave that big house. I mean, just dealing with all those things that we had talked about, me leaving the big house and the friends and the pets and the, you know, the holidays and the pools, just, just leaving all of that. I was grappling with my self-identity, I guess. And I didn't need to also throw on, oh, and you're also living with your parents at 30, so deal with that too. It was too much, I think, for me to deal with, and it was too much for me to rebuild myself. I I had to remove myself, and I knew at the time it was not the financially savvy thing to do. (laughs) I knew it was the worst thing I could do financially, but for my emotional state, I had to remove myself from that situation and start fresh from the ground up somewhere else. Looking back, do you think that was a bad decision then? Honestly, like it might have been a bad financial decision, which you you had knew and admitted at the time. But like, do you think it was a bad decision or do you think it was what you needed for your mental health at the time? Well, obviously, at the time, I thought that that's what I that's what I needed. And I think I did need that. But I still yes, financially, it was absolutely the worst thing I could have done. So, yeah, I mean, I can justify it saying, yes, I needed to do that for me. So maybe it was worth it. You know, maybe, you know, thinking through it and talking about it right now. Yeah, maybe it was worth the cost, right? The opportunity cost. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And life is a series of inflection points. And Jonathan kind of described this as maybe the roller coaster path to five. Like we've learned many of those inflection points in your life from that engineer telling you, hey, you can go to college to finding this significant other who made you spend like crazy to leaving to going out on your own when you could have lived with your parents. Like, where does the story go from here? Because I know there's a, a light at the end of the rainbow. And I, I love to hear like, you <laughs> wow, know, how did talking you get on- about mixing metaphors. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the comeback story, though. Let's hear about it. Well, the comeback story, it took a little bit longer. Um, I was living in the apartment. I was rebuilding myself from the ground up. I actually got involved with somebody else and had a child. Um, Unfortunately, that relationship did not last for the long term. But, um, you know, I got something pretty awesome out of it. So during all that time, my my dad passed away. Uh, My mom's still living in the house. I'm still subsidizing her living expenses as well as paying for my own and being a single parent at the same time. So it was it was a lot. So what leads you to the concept of FI? What leads you to this point at which you're progressively getting better with your personal finances? What is the light bulb moment? Are, are we getting close to that inflection point? The light bulb moment was when I actually met my current husband, Mr. Mad Money Monster. <laughs> so he had a roller coaster of a life as well. So always lived a frugal life, but still made mistakes, still had some credit card debt, took out some car loans. You know, so we, again, took some steps forward, but then took a step backwards. We were talking about buying a bigger house because that's what that's what you do, right? You're going to get married. You need a bigger house. (laughs) So we were we were starting to look at these bigger houses and, you know, because I wanted that validation. I wanted that big house back. Right. I, I still had that. I was still carrying that. 
you know, we were being normal. We were going out all the time. We were spending money on whatever we wanted to. And then we, we looked at this house and we actually put an offer in. It was pretty big and it was a house that we could not, I would say, comfortably afford because his career is variable. So, um, you know, he gets paid per job. Uh, he doesn't have the, the typical W-2, 9 to 5 job. So, you know, as long as things are going as we expect, it should be fine. But you never know. And the anxiety just started to build over that. Again, it wasn't a smart decision. And we kind of stepped back and we actually had an opportunity. The, the house came back with a, an issue with the inspection. So we, we jumped on that and we said, you know what, we're not going to do this. We need to be smart. We are not in our 20s anymore. We need to really focus on the next X number of years. We are making good money. There is no reason we cannot be in a much, much better position, much better than the average, you know, in just a few years. He was completely on board. Again, he grew up in a family that was frugal, but didn't build wealth. So he wasn't really, I guess, educated in, as far as that goes. So I was starting to Google things as I, and I came across this fire community and I was just blown away. I was blown away. And I, I, I'm like, we are doing this. I am starting a blog. I'm going <laughs> to, it's going to hold us accountable. And that's the story there. I'm curious, you already have two houses at this point, right? Or you've purchased two houses in the past. You're on this glide path to buy yet another house that you probably can't comfortably afford. You put an offer in, it's accepted, you go to inspection. Like, how on this earth does that change? Like, since the offer and acceptance to, okay, we had this total change of heart in our entire lives. Like, bring us back to then. Cause, you know, I'm leaning in when you're telling me that story. Like, I want more. Like, do you, do you recollect, like, what you guys, what you actually had the conversation over? Like, how does that happen? Oh, yeah. So the biggest piece why we couldn't comfortably afford it is because I refused to sell the house I currently had. So I wanted to turn the house we were living in into another rental. So that was as long as everything was going to go fine and we had tenants and, you know, his income was going to stay steady and then we would be fine. But the more and more we thought about this, and he was even more of a nervous wreck than me. <laughs> I'm usually, I analyze things and the probability and the statistics of this happening and that happening. Right? So I was more willing to take the risk, but the more he was, you know, on my case being nervous about this. And then the more I was thinking about it and I was waking up, you know, almost having panic attacks in the middle of the night, like, <gasps> Oh my gosh, but what if he's right? What if this does happen? What if that does happen? Oh my gosh. You know, so, and that was, that was right around the time where the inspection came back and we're like, uh, we're out. We are out. I, I can't, you're right. I'm like, you're right. We can't take this risk. That is amazing. So this really is yet another major inflection point. Like it, it's fascinating, Lisa, honestly, to, to talk to you and find all these major distinct points that you can really look back on and say like, that was a turning point in my life. And and this clearly was. And then you quickly found the Phi community thereafter, right? I did. I started, you know, all right, we've got to get our finances into shape. And like I said, we weren't starting from scratch. You know, I had always been, you know, saving in my retirement account, except for the time I was in the apartment. I did have to pause at that moment. But um, yeah, so we had savings. Um, so we weren't starting from scratch, but we certainly, I mean, at that point, there, there are people that were our ages that were already retired, right? So we certainly 
were behind the eight ball in comparison to some of the other people in the fire community. So yeah, I found the Frugal Woods, I found Budgets Are Sexy, and I was just blown away. That's when we decided to really kick it into high gear and get on this path. So what I love about this one is that we've talked in the past about the power of telling your unique story and what what relates to one person doesn't relate to another because people are looking for someone that have actually walked a mile in their shoes. And with the variety of stories that you have to cover, you've walked in everybody's shoes. You've covered the entire gambit. So I got to imagine that um, your, your blog and all of your content is extraordinarily colorful as you're able to turn all of these really, really powerful experiences into stories to share there. I mean, I'd like to think so. I do write, you know, a lot about my experiences and my, I don't want to scare people because yeah, I have, I have experienced a lot of ups and downs and um, I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of other bloggers, at least that I've seen in the community, you know, they don't have such a a colorful story. So I don't want to say, Hey, and, and I was a single mom and I, you know, I screwed up here and I messed up there. And (laughs) I don't know. I, I just seem like, I just feel like um, other people have a more linear and and a a cleaner, I guess a cleaner Mm -hmm. path. And that might be something that is more appealing (laughs) to, you know, the up and comer um, people who are just joining the community. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, my past is the past and I am who I am because of it. So I do like to share those stories. Well, I love that. And I think that it adds a lot of background, a lot of flavor because people do identify with that. People have absolutely experienced those same things. And in many cases, it's difficult to find someone that has made all those mistakes and then come out the other side. And I guess my question is, all right, so now you've, you've found this Fi community and you've deep dived into J money's content over at budgets are sexy. You've started actually looking, you know, researching all these different influencers that have these wonderful ideas to share. Like, can you slowly walk us through the progression? What aspect of financial independence did you tackle first? And what kind of tips do you have for someone that's making this reset later in life? You know, what did it actually look like for you? Um, I guess, uh, you know, one step at a time, really. Thankfully, we did have our incomes that were above average. So it was just a matter of, all right, we're increasing these contributions. We're maxing that out. And, you know, then we're going to focus on, you know, we're paying off my, I still had a student loan, you know, from my $25,000 that was sitting around however long ago. So I still had some of that to pay off. I still had a car loan. So it was just like, pay it off, pay it off, max it out and, you know, full speed ahead. It's just a matter of making up your mind to do it. I think. I think as long as you're, as long as you're making a certain amount of money, you don't have to be making, you know, doctor money or lawyer money or whatever. But you know, as long as you're making enough that you have some left over, I think pretty much anybody can set their mind to paying things off and building wealth. What did those first steps look like? So you found the Fi community. Like, what did you actually change in your lives? After finding all this information and devouring it, what were the positive financial changes you made? So, like I said, we maxed out retirement accounts. We um, paid off our debt. We are currently paying off our home. That's our last little debt that we have that we're paying off. But, you know, we stopped going out all the time. So we're living a much more frugal and, I guess, purposeful lifestyle it's not, oh, yeah, let's let's go out to this restaurant and then afterwards we'll go to the movies. We don't do that unless we are intending to do that, unless we had planned to do that. Um, you know, we cut the cable. We only have Netflix. And, 
we just did all the little pieces. We kind of just put them together. Now that you've started to optimize your finances, you've apparently, between now your dual income, you've created significant space between your earnings and your cost of living. Do you track your savings rate at this point? Have you achieved a certain level of, you know, I know at one point you were putting 15% of your income into your retirement accounts. What sort of savings rate did you guys hit at the peak? At the peak, we're right around 70. Wow. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. But like I said, his income is variable. So it probably is is right around between 50 and 70 at any given moment or at any given time. You know, it's amazing to me how quickly you can turn things around when you can nail a 50% plus savings rate. (laughs) Right. So what does this look like for you? I mean, you, you know, obviously you're telling this from the perspective of someone that is not at FI, but someone that is on the path to FI. I mean, you're the comeback kid, right? You're the one, the roller coaster path to FI. You had the light bulb moment a little bit later on, and now you're just crushing it. How much longer till you hit FI? A few more years in the traditional sense where we could just live off our investments, you know, the 4% rule. It's a life transformation. I mean, every month that we get a little bit closer and a little bit closer, like my job, the stress at my job is a little bit less and a little bit less because, you know, I need it less. I'm not saying I'll leave my job. I, I do enjoy it most days. I enjoy everything that comes along with it, my coworkers, the satisfaction I get from it, the income, of course, the benefits. Um, so I'm not saying that I will actually retire early, maybe earlier than you know the government says I should retire, but <laughs> that's not something that we are chasing well, specifically. Well, that's what I love. You know, you've been in the fire community for two years and you're already ready to change the name. Do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I had this post that I, this idea that I wanted to write this post for a while now. I keep a running list of my ideas when they pop into my head. And last Thursday night, I was like, I've got to polish this up and get it published. I have to, because I think it's going to be a good piece (laughs) to talk about on this podcast. And I remember I stayed up late and I got up early and I I just wasn't feeling well, but I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's got to get published. It's got to get out. (laughs) So yes, the whole time we've been on this journey, I just felt like, ah, I don't know that we really fit into the fire community in the traditional sense, as in financial independence, retire early. I thought, you know what? We don't. (laughs) What we fit into is the FIRE community, financial independence, optional retirement. So for me, I don't know. I don't think that's my main goal to like, hey, here's my resignation. I'm, I'm out. I enjoy my job. I enjoy my coworkers. I enjoy what I do. I, I enjoy the satisfaction. And it is a part of my identity. And I'm okay with saying that. It's a part of my identity that I don't know that I want to lose. <laughs> and that's okay. As far as my husband goes, I mean, he works in his dream career. And even if he didn't make a penny, he would probably still do it. So he is definitely not on the, the retire early path. He is going to be working on his deathbed. So for me, you know, I want the option. You know, I love the blog. If the blog turns into some, you know, huge money-making venture, then then maybe I do. Maybe I do leave my current employer and do that full time. But uh, I want the option. I love that. It is truly all about options. And and that's why Jonathan and I actually shy away from fire with the retire early, because I feel like that turns people off. Like it's just such a loaded thing, like retirement, just generally that, that concept, right? People think of sitting in Florida, sipping umbrella drinks and playing golf, right? Like that's, that's not what we're looking for here. We're looking to take the power back 
in your life. And that's what you're describing, right? Like every month you get a little more power, a little more power accrues on your side of the ledger and you feel better about your job, even the stresses, because eventually you can say how we affectionately call it FU money, right? Like you can, there might be aspects that you don't like of that job and you might be able to jettison them. And that would have been impossible with the old Lisa, right? The one who had the cyclical credit card debt and still had student loans. Like because you've taken this power back in your life, you truly have options. And, and that is why I love FI or that's great. Fire optional, right. optional retirement. That is absolutely brilliant. And so, yeah, Thank you for coining that. I think it's a, a valuable addition to the community. <laughs> it was fun. It was definitely a fun article to write. But you're right. I mean, we're into building legacy wealth. Like that's more of our goal than to hit a certain number and live on X amount each year for the rest of our lives. We we want to leave something behind. That's why we just want the option. Well, we're definitely going to link to that article in the show notes so people can check it out in its entirety. Uh, what is the best way for people to connect with you? The website, madmoneymonster.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, same name, Mad Money Monster. All right. Well, on most shows, that would be the end of the end of the episode. But on our show, we always like to finish up by giving you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this? Oh, boy. I think so. Go ahead. <laughs> in a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, These questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. All right, Lisa, question number one, your favorite blog that's not your own. Oh, that's so easy. It's the Frugal Woods. I, it was one of the first blogs I found, and I just look up to them so much. Uh, I just love following their story and their little hacks for everything, and I just love them. Yeah, I think 2018 might be the year of the soda stream for me. I'm highly considering that. <laughs> I know my husband would actually love that too, so maybe we'll check that out again too. Question number two, your favorite article of all time. Now, this can be one that you wrote or somebody else's. I was actually going to bring up my FIRE article, but we just talked about that. And that's not my favorite article of all time, but one of my favorites anyway. I'm going to say something that I think a lot of people have probably said, and it's uh, Mr. Money Mustache's uh, shockingly simple math behind early retirement. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. I I was, again, it was another light bulb moment for me. And I I think he has a spreadsheet in there that I that I downloaded and actually plugged my numbers in. Uh, yeah, I, I love that article. Yeah, that was a true game changer for me. I think that was my first real FI moment. When I read that, it just, it changed everything. So yeah, I'm totally with you there. All right, question number three, your favorite life hack. Ah, okay. So my favorite life hack is just enjoying the moment that you're living. I think so many times we are chasing something like I'll be happy when I reach financial independence. I'll be happy when I graduate college. I'll be happy. When... No, you have to be happy now. You have to enjoy the ride. You have to enjoy not just the coming weekend, but you know Tuesday night with dinner around the table. I enjoy little things and I think it contributes to my overall happiness. That is so insightful. What happens when you're tied to the hamster wheel, when you're purchasing stuff to make up for your general unhappiness? To have a truly happy moment, you have to have this epic adventure, this epic experience, something that totally overshadows 
how just miserable your nine to five is. But if once you break the hamster wheel and you get to reclaw back a large percentage of your time, it can be the simple things, right? Oh, it really can be. I mean, I'm talking, I look forward to my lunch at work because I get to decompress. I sit down at my computer. I might read some blogs. I might start a blog. I might, you know, do a little research and I get something done and I accomplish something. And then I'll look forward to dinner with my family that evening or a bike ride that we have planned. It doesn't have to be our next vacation or something big. It's just the little things that I get a lot of enjoyment out of that I do think is a life hack for me. All right. Question number four, your biggest financial mistake. (laughs) Well, it was not moving into the rental house that I bought for my parents uh, when I broke up with my significant other from the big house. It was hands down the worst financial move I could have made. And it affected me for, uh, well, it's still affecting me because I still have to work. (laughs) Do you think that that one decision, if you had made the opposite choice of what you made, you'd be at five right now? Are you that, is it that, is it that stark? Yeah, I do think so. I do think so. Because I was always interested in saving more than the average person and investing money. So yes, I think if I had focused on that at that moment and really made the right decision for my finances, yeah. (laughs) But you live and you learn and it makes for a more colorful story. So, (laughs) Well, it does it that and we can't beat ourselves up over past decisions. I think this is important for the audience to to realize like so many people come to us and say, oh, I'm just getting started with Phi. I'm 50 years old and I've done everything wrong. Well, okay, you've done everything wrong. Well, start today making the right decisions, right? So I hear you completely. Sure, that was a mistake and ideally you could go back and change it, but It helped you on your story. It helped you on your path. And now you're making all the right decisions and saving 50 to 70% of your income. So yeah, I have moments in my life that I I still think about, even though I tell myself like, you can't change the past. Like I still rue the day that I went and bought some investment property in North Carolina, but like you can't beat yourself up about it because you made the best decision with the information you had at the time. And that's just the way life works, you know? Absolutely. Yep. You're absolutely right. All right. Question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. (laughs) Oh, I would tell myself to really analyze the decisions you're making because they do have the potential to affect you years and even decades down the line, especially with relationships. You know, don't just blindly stay in a relationship just because you're having fun or you don't want to break up. You know, this is your life you're talking about and it's finite. So yeah, I I would definitely tell myself to act sooner on things and make better decisions, I think. All right. We have one bonus question. Um, Oh boy. (laughs) What was your favorite purchase that you made on amazon.com last year? (laughs) Okay. um, Well, uh, I'm not an Amazonaholic. That's for sure. But I do, I do use Amazon occasionally and uh, our local pet store. So we actually feed our, our pets grain free food just because it's better for them. But um, uh, our cats, our mad money cats, they are on a certain kind of food and our specialty store actually ran out of that food. So I picked something else up. And they went on a hunger strike. So I, you know, what am I going to do? Um, so I actually ordered it from Amazon and it was here the next day. <laughs> nice. So that's probably my favorite. I'm getting better. I would, I would qualify myself as an Amazon addict or have the risk of becoming one, but 
I'm doing really good lately. Like it's almost like I've got this linear focus, this tunnel vision, and I rarely deviate outside of it these days. Brad, it's I'm really giving myself a pat on the back here. Nice. You're a changed man. I'm impressed. Totally a changed person. Yep. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. I think this is going to be an episode that's going to be very encouraging for some people in our audience who say, gosh, you have all these people on that are 20 years old and have never made a wrong decision. And yeah, of course they're at five, but what about me? I'm over here. I think the fact that you have this diversity of experience to draw from really grabs people where they are and gives them hope and gives them encouragement. And I just thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. And thank you for being a part of the Chooseify community. If you want to support us, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. If you want to do that, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes. Two, use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to chooseify.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of Fi, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free and just go to choosefi.com slash PC. P is in Paul, C is in Cat. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 38, The Why of Fi, and right behind that, have them go listen to episode 21, The Pillars of Fi. It is a fantastic starting place. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.